that are a little smaller can get dismissed. <laughs> Shorter, maybe. I'm glad we did pretty well with that song. Um, right when we first started, we're, we weren't used to holding microphones, and um, we actually had just one to share between the three younger ones, and Seth was on the outside, and you could tell that he was kind of uh, feeling like he was getting ousted. About halfway through the song, he starts leaning into the microphone, and one of the girls starts leaning away like this, and uh, it's hard to keep a straight face when you're watching that, you know, so we did pretty well. Um, well, it is. Uh, this is my opportunity to tell you all thank you. It's been really a sweet week, and uh, we have enjoyed... Uh, just the fellowship, and uh, thank you. Thank you for the hospitality. Thank you for uh, just the, the good fellowship, and uh, we've, we've really enjoyed that. I promised I would uh, tell you a, a story on myself. I'll try and make it uh, pretty quick. By the way, I can't see the clock back there, so we're good, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, you can give me the high sign when I start wrapping it up. But... Um, uh, anyway, when we were uh, still at the Wilds, they let us travel a little bit on the weekends, and uh, from North Carolina down to um, Mississippi is where we were for a missions conference, and that's quite a hike if you uh, know your geography a little bit. So we were doing that in a weekend and a couple other days, and we had a friend from Austria who had given us some uh, German candy, uh, some chocolate candy and some non-chocolate. And the kids really liked the chocolate candy, but I was, I was into the non-chocolate. It was these little round, bright colored balls and, uh, they have this liquid center and it kind of stuck it in there. It shriveled a little bit and, and, um, 
you know, it, it, I was pounding those things pretty good. They, I really liked those on the way down. And in fact, Jennifer, she was being the blessed wife that she was. She said, maybe we should move these to this side of the car. And I can't reach them over there. And, and uh, I was using them to stay awake. You know, and you, you, what you do is you put them in your mouth and you suck on them. And they, 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 they're not super hard on the outside and they start to soften up. And then when you bite down on them, you're going, for, if you're young or young at heart, that's what you're going for because that's where the sugar is and you can have a liquid center there. And so anyway, I was enjoying those. We got down there on the Friday night and, um, we had a barbecue and then off to our host's home and, and, uh, that was fun. And so there's a lot of activity going on. We're getting in the car and, up until we got the RV, we were traveling in our van and uh, just pulling a little trailer behind us. And so, you know, part of my job, I feel like, as dad is to keep the house clean and picked up. And so they're getting in the van, and, of course, I'm, I'm picking up some things and just getting some trash. And, and uh, I look behind me, and lo and behold, there's one of those guys. And what's any self-respecting dad going to do, Right. So I put it in my mouth, and I'm sucking on it, and, and uh, like I said, it's, it's all close to summer. It's pretty hot down there, so we're rolling the windows down. There's a lot going on. I'm not really paying attention. Everybody's getting in the car, and I'm just sucking on that and, and waiting to go, and I bite down, and it pops. Did you know that a year-old paintball looks just like a piece of German candy? I am not kidding you. And, uh, of course, you know, it just hits the back of my throat and it kind of stops right there. And I open the door and start spitting out. And they're like, what's wrong with Dad? He doesn't usually act like this. And I can guarantee you it doesn't taste like a piece of German candy. So uh, we've had, uh, lo and behold, one of my kids, there's a paintball field there at camp. And they had brought it with us. And uh, they've actually threatened that there's another one hanging around. And I wouldn't be surprised. Seth seems to come out with all kinds of things from our journeys. He started collecting rocks out west this trip. And we have quite a collection of rocks, let me tell you. So, <laughs> But anyway, uh, we've had a lot of adventures and it's been a lot of fun. So if you would, open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to use that as our jumping off point tonight. Colossians chapter 1, we're going to get to 2 Corinthians. And I wish we had a lot of time to be there and park. Uh, but we're not going to be able to do that tonight. But chapter, end of, middle of close to the end of chapter 2, all the way to chapter 7 of 2 Corinthians, Paul is really, most commentators would say, that's where he's talking about his ministry, and he really bears his heart. We really get to see who this Apostle Paul is, what makes him tick. And uh, in Colossians, he kind of has it real encapsulated. And so that's why we're starting there. Uh, He talks about who Jesus Christ is and his deity, uh, verses 15 uh, to 20 in chapter 1. And then he says, because of your faith in Jesus Christ, uh, verse 3, he has reconciled you. And we're going to look at all these in 2 Corinthians, verse uh, 20. So I want to pick up in verse 24 where he says, Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh, For his body's sake, which is the church, they're persecuting me, Paul says, because they're taking, they they would love to take it out on Jesus Christ, but all that's left now is the church. So they're taking it out on, and me, his messenger, 
whereof I am made a minister, verse 25, according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, this mystery, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Okay, Paul, what, what is this mystery that you have been given the stewardship of unfolding and opening up? So he says it, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I want to look at this Christ in you, the hope of glory. And it's almost as if there's, it's a diamond of the glory of Jesus Christ. And how, how do you even start to a, a, a really brilliant diamond? And when you look at it under bright light, and of course, if you put it on black uh, felt or whatever, and you just see all these little facets, how would you be able to just say, well, okay, well, let's talk about this one. Look how shiny this one is. Oh, no, no, let's look at this one. Let's just take a little bit of seeing what Paul says, this mystery of Christ in you. And I want to encourage you with that tonight. And uh, Paul's going to talk about this Christ in you, and he's going to use three contrasts or three illustrations. So let's pick up on uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. Verse 5. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. So what are these three contrasts that Paul's going to talk about? Help us really see who Jesus Christ is. He's going to talk about light, treasure, and earthen vessels. Let's pray. Father, as I've asked before, I ask again, open our hearts, give us tender ground that the seed may find root. May we indeed see the joyous treasure of Jesus Christ. And in seeing that treasure, make everything else pale in comparison. And may we go after it with our whole hearts. And I ask for his glory. Amen. Light. Let's talk about light for a little bit. Where does the light come from? Where does it originate? Paul says it comes from God. And Paul's talking about two different kinds of light. He's talking about physical light, but he's also talking about spiritual light. And so he says, God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. All the way back to the beginning of time. God's there before there is time. And once he creates time, he says, let there be light. Just like that, there's light. Does that give you any kind of perspective on who we are, who our God is, his power, his majesty, what he can do? 
And Paul says, just like God creating light out of nothing, he creates spiritual light in a heart. And he can put it in there just like that. Do you remember when it happened to you? Has it happened to you? When you were searching and saying, I, I want to know you, God. And God puts that light in your heart. You know, it's, it's a beautiful picture of God at work in both instances. Don't you think Paul was thinking of his own conversion when he was on that road to Damascus? And he was there to persecute Christians and the light from heaven. In fact, in his testimony, all three times he talks about that. It was very impacting to him, the light from heaven. And, and what does Paul say? I'm going to take you on. When he, In fact, he says, I did it in ignorance in another place. But when he sees God for who he truly is, what does he say? Humility, Lord, what would you have me? to do. That's a proper response, isn't it? When you truly see God for who he really is. Second thing light does, what's its character? Light separates. That's what light does, doesn't it? If we walked in here and it was dark, turn on the light, boom, instantly the dark goes away. You know, in the darkness, we're blind. We can't see. Those of you who have children or maybe even grandchildren, they come over to play in the house and you put them to bed and maybe you get up in the middle of the night and there aren't any night lights. If you don't use those, you're walking around, oh, I think I can make it around to maybe the bathroom or something. And it can be kind of a challenge if they leave their toys out or whatever. You can't see. You're blind. You know, the Bible talks about our spiritual hearts being in darkness, doesn't it? Of going our own way. No hope without salvation. In fact, Paul says that in verse 4, the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Even though Satan is adding on to them being born in sin and they're choosing to sin and now they're an enemy of God and Satan is using this whole world system to add on top of that to distract them so they don't think about their eternity or God at all. God says, Paul says, God is so much stronger than that. He can break through. Doesn't that give us hope? Third thing he says is, where is the light intended to go? Where is its destination? He says it's to our heads, to our eyes. It's to our hearts, isn't it? It's for a relationship with God. You know, it's not just knowing the good news. It's having that good news. And I'm sure each of you could relate to maybe door-to-door Maybe it's a relative, maybe it's a friend who they could tell you the gospel, but they don't have that relationship. And Paul says it is a relationship. It's like a marriage contract. You are a new person. In fact, Jesus said this in John eight twelve: I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. I've only been here a couple days. What about you? Is your soul in darkness tonight? You can have his light. You know, if you have his light, are you allowing some sin 
to darken your heart? What about today? Maybe even this week, the Holy Spirit was putting his finger on something. You said, no, Lord, I'm going to go this way. Did you do that this week? You can come back to the light in humility. Come draw nigh to God. He will draw nigh to you. Not only light, but I see Paul talking about treasure. You know, for a second, I want to tell you a little bit about light in Spain. And uh, we talked about the unreached people group of the Basque people. And uh, I wanted to give you a little picture of what it looks like to be an unreached people group. And we're talking about spiritual light. Uh, I saw its statistics, so I wanted to share it with you. They say that the average American city has one Protestant church for every 950 people. So when you take a Protestant church, it's kind of a big broad brush stroke. Uh, but that's kind of something we're familiar with. So one Protestant church, 950 people. Uh, if you're looking at the United States, you say, okay, let's go out to some place where it's not quite like that. Uh, Salt Lake City. The, the, the statistics there is uh, one Protestant church for every 5,000 people. In fact, in the uh, metropolitan Provo, Utah area, uh, it is one Protestant church for every 20,000 people. Okay, so let's go to our, just our province in Spain, the smallest. Uh, there's 50 provinces. The smallest one is Gipuzkoa, uh, 700,000 people. There's one Protestant church for every 125,000 people. And it's not like you're driving down the road and saying, okay, which church do I want to go to that preaches the gospel? It's, there aren't any. The likelihood of running into someone that actually can tell you the gospel. That's what an unreached people group looks like. And that's what the Lord really used in our hearts, started working. Let's talk about treasure. We were going from light to treasure. Now, what do, what do you do with a treasure? What would most of us, if we had a treasure, what would we do with it? Uh, you know what? I, I didn't really realize this, but for my family, as we've been traveling a little bit, uh, we've been had, had the opportunity to go to hotels every once in a while. Church will put us up, and, and uh, some hotels now are getting real fancy. They have a safe right in the wall when you walk in the room. And uh, my kids have been instantly, their eyes have been alive to finding all the safes. So we walk into a room, it's like, is there a safe in here? Where's the safe? And you know, they look in the closet. And so much so that recently we went to somebody's house, and, and uh, we had barely gotten in the front door. You know, the bags are still in the hands, and we're trying to do do some kind of introductions. And Seth goes, do you have a safe in your house? <laughs> and uh, the husband's there. He gives this little glint in his eye and he says, I have three of them, but you can only see one. And uh, so we've been really alive to safes these days. But, you know, what, what do we do if we have a treasure? We, we lock it up. We hide it away. But not our God. Our God, he gives what a price was paid for that treasure. You know, and what, what treasure is he talking about when he says the knowledge of the glory of God? And you think about it, how would a person ever know God? You know, we talk about in theological terms, general revelation. Oh, you know, you can look out and see the majesty of God. 
see that sun walking across the sky every day, just like clockwork, and say, there's order. Someone created this. But you wouldn't know the love of God, the mercy of God, the justice of God. And, uh, you know, he's written us his words because he wanted to communicate with us. And then he sent the word in the flesh, Jesus Christ. John 1, 3 says, his life was the light of men. And so, you know, when we look in the face of Jesus Christ, we see who our God is. In fact, Hebrews 1, 3 says that he is the exact imprint, that express image. It's like you take it and you put it in a, uh, a mold and out it is. And there it is. You want to know what God looks like? He looks like Jesus Christ. So how could man, an enemy of God, now two parties that are ir- irreconcilable because one has broken that, how could he come to God? Only through one. Perfect God, yet yeah, perfect man. And uh, that's what the treasure does. The treasure provides us access to God. This S-U-N of righteousness. Son of righteousness, Malachi calls him is the S-O-N, the Son, whose perfect life satisfied the demands of God's holiness and his death satisfied the demands of God's justice. This treasure of Jesus Christ is so great. We could spend, what, tonight, the rest of our lives, we will spend all eternity praising his name and expounding upon this treasure of Jesus Christ. You know what? That's glorious, is it not? Matthew 1, 21 says, He shall save his people from their sins. Okay, that's hope right there, isn't it? And uh, you know what? The treasure also does another thing. It's a promise from God. If you turn over to chapter 5, you'll see this. He says in verse 5, um, now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. It's a down payment. It's a guarantee. It's a promise from God that, uh, look, I've put my Spirit in your heart if you're his. And uh, I will keep that promise. And one day you will be glorified forever. And he's really talking about that all through this passage. In fact, if you look in front of chapter 4, he talks about in uh, verses uh, 17 and 18 of chapter 3, where he's saying we are changed by his spirit as we gaze at Jesus Christ from one level of glory to another. We are changed. And he says, you know what? This is our guarantee that we will be perfect and he will keep his promise. Can we overstate that treasure in any way, what value would we put on that? In fact, Paul says that in verse 17 of chapter 3, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Does that not give us hope? That leads us to our third picture. Jesus Christ is our true light and we are to value it as our treasure. Then what's our mindset supposed to be? Paul says our mindset is to be an earthen vessel. A, a utensil made from earth, a jar of clay. 
you know what? I, I want us to really look at how he says this. You know, this is how he views himself, and it, it really guides him. So he says, okay, this freedom that we have in Jesus Christ, this is such good news. It's, it's an amazing message. What hopeful message? What only message? So he says in verse 5, he says, we're going to preach, not myself, of all things to preach, Jesus Christ the Lord, or Jesus Christ as Lord. So let's look at those words, Christ, the one chosen, anointed by God, the chosen one, Jesus. He is able to save men from their sins. And Lord, speaking of his rule and his authority, I think the best English word that I I think fits right here is master, master. So Paul says, okay, here's how it looks. Me, I made a minister. Colossians, we've looked at that. I'm a steward. And in verse 1 of chapter 4, he says, I'm a minister. I've been given this service. I'm a helper. It pictures one who is like at the table serving. In fact, that word is diakonos, deacon. It's one serving. And he says, okay, so here's a view of myself. I'm one serving. And verse 5, we are your servants. Dulos, a bond slave. It's a permanent relationship of one having a master. So where do we fall in the order of things? We're a servant. We're a bond slave. It's interesting Paul would use this because he's talking to a group of people who what? Half of them are slaves and their goal is to get out of slavery, to get the next step. Maybe they can get their freedom. And then once they get their freedom... They want to own slaves. They want to climb the ladder. In so many different ways, the, the Corinthians there, they want it. Hey, look, let's have the best gifts. I'm a Paul. I'm of Apollos. That's all they want to do is climb the ladder. Says, okay, Paul. Paul says, okay, you want to follow me? Let me show you what it looks like. It looks like a bond slave for Jesus Christ. The lowest of the low. And you know what? To help you remember what that looks like as being a bond slave... I'm going to set this word picture up of being a jar of clay. You know, how much more common do you get than a handful of dirt, really? Wet dirt that you can manipulate and put together. And until you fire it, it's really fragile. Nothing more than a clay pot. And that's how God's power and grace is seen in us. And so Paul says, here's how I want you to serve me, uh, Here's how God wants us to serve him. And so Paul's going to talk about that. Number one, he says, be an ambassador. Be an ambassador. He's going to continue on from chapter four to chapter five. If your hand is open there, chapter five, uh, verses 18 to 20. God hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation and hath committed unto us the word or the message of of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador. One who doesn't dispatch their own business, but one who is sent to be on behalf of someone else and to act as this person would have done. That's our job. That's our job. And that's really what a missionary is. You think about that. Not only does God offer peace to one who can come to him and freedom and life forevermore. 
But then he offers us the opportunity to be involved in giving that message. Does that not give you a life worth living? Second thing, here's how I want you to serve me. Serve one another. You know, I believe it's implied right here. And Paul says in another passage, follow me as I follow Christ. It's not being greater than another. It's being a servant. 1 Peter 4.10 says, As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Here we are. We've been given a gift. How are we doing as a manager? The Holy Spirit's been put inside of us. That's the guarantee. And then he's even equipped us for the service he wants us to do. And that's not just a select few. That's each one of us to serve. So I guess that begs the question, how are we doing? How are you doing? God has a reason for you to be here. God has a reason for you to be a part. Are you being a part? Are you doing what God's asked you to do? You have to be a good steward. Use your gifts. And so Paul says, okay, here's our mindset as being a servant. What motivates us? He's continuing on in chapter 5, verse 14. The love of Christ constraineth us. It controls us. It restrains us. It motivates us. And it's not just for now. It's the expectation of seeing him. He's going to jump up. Verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Do you believe that? Do you believe that one day you will stand before him? Look him at the, in the eye. You will be at the Bema if you are his. As the athletes would stand there and or a legal pronouncement, the judgment. And for us, that sin has been taken care of. But it's whether we've done earthly um, things that are worthless or things that are worthwhile and eternal. And he will evaluate those. And there will be no way around it. He will be the judge. That expectation of seeing him in all his majesty, that is the hope of glory. And that's what Paul's talking about. You know, I, I was really curious. I peeked at my phone because I was hoping this would happen. Brother Ferris, he went out with the children. It was almost like I felt like he should come up after the message. Because you know what? You could see it in his heart. So I want to talk about him just for a minute. I mean, you could see a servant. And, and he's saying, you know what? I don't want to be anyplace else but in the center of God's will. And I want to be used. And even should he afflict my body, that's okay. God can still use that for good. And you know what? All these changes that I couldn't help but think, oh, wow, coming all the way back and now going back again. You know, for his kids and everything else, lots of changes. But you know, he does it with a smile. That's a servant. What an example for all of us. Follow me as I follow Christ. You know, for each of us, he has a job for us. To be ambassadors, to be partners with him. You know, you know what? I know for many of you, it's not the mission to go someplace else in the world. 
Your mission is right here. Are you a willing messenger to tell them? The treasure of the universe, Jesus Christ, put in of something so infinite value, put in something of hardly any value? Us. Who are we? When you have the master who loves you, who wants your best, who's able to take care of you in any circumstance, do you believe that? And then you're free to do as he asks. You're free to serve. Isn't that the most glorious thing? And that's what Paul's saying. But do we look at ourselves that way? Are we training our children that way? Often I see this next generation behind me saying, well, what what battles are there? And my parents have already fought the battles. I thought it was for me to kind of relax, enjoy things, take a vacation. Maybe let them bear some of that load as well and to say, yeah, someday this is the baton going to be handed to you. Are you ready for it? And let's train them. Are we here for us? Are we motivated by that one day look in his eyes? As if he were doing it? An ambassador. That's what God has for each one of us. What does Paul say in Romans 12? A living sacrifice. Oh, but you know what? Sometimes we have excuses, don't we? We've talked a little bit about Paul. And uh, you know what? We, We want to have Paul's response. Lord, what would you have me to do? Or other ones who have seen the Lord. Isaiah, what did he say? Here am I, send me. You know, we really, we really intend to say something like that. But sometimes, as I've referenced this before, we, we're, we're kind of like Moses, aren't we? Maybe his outlook. Oh, we wouldn't say it outwardly, but, you know, Lord, I, I don't know. This one that you want, this, go talk to that person. Go pass out a track. Maybe you should go send someone else. Do we say that in here? Do we view ourselves as his servant, one who could be sent? Maybe we'd say, not this, Lord. I want to hang on to this treasure. Not this trial. I want to be comfortable, Lord. You know what? Not this humbling. I want to be someone great. I want to be somebody people look up to. You know, Paul has this cord going. We looked at it. 4-1, this ministry. And then he says to an earthen vessel, and then he ties it into verse 16 of chapter 4, we faint not. We faint not, earthen vessel, we faint not. If you diagram it out, it has this boom, 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 all three of them together. Paul says, you know what? Being a servant isn't easy. It's not glamorous, is it? You think about that. What rights do you have? You know, the test of a servant's heart is when you're treated like one. Then you find out. Because sometimes we like to think, yeah, I'm a servant. Sometimes when, I, when it's convenient. But look who's our master. Don't faint. Don't lose heart. Don't quit. That's what Paul says. Darkness and light. The greatest treasure in a common pot. A slave who is free to minister. You think about that. Is that not grace? Is that not our great God? You know how thankful we can be to be even part of his plan. To say, thank you, God. 
Uh, it doesn't matter what it is. I want to be a servant. Does that motivate us? The hymn writer said, demands my life, my all. Are we there? Are we holding something back? You know, he has a plan for each of us to be actively engaged, to dispense what is ours or maybe what he puts in our hands. We think it's ours. And to be involved in his plan. You know, he wants to involve each one of us. But the choice is up to you. Let's pray. You know, maybe there's something that the Holy Spirit is tugging at your heart about. You know what it is. Are you willing to open your hands to surrender what you've been grasping at and say, okay, Lord, this is yours. In fact, I'm yours too. Amazingly, you can use this if, if I just let it go and give it to you. What blessings would be there? You know, maybe you don't even have this relationship with God that we've been talking about. You don't know him. You can know him today. Pastor. What if there are decisions we made tonight while our heads are bowed down?